Into the scented woods we'll go and see the blackthorn swim in snow. High above in the budding leaves, a brooding dove awakes and grieves. The glades with mingled music stir and wildly laughs the woodpecker. When blackthorn petals purl the breeze, there are the twisted hawthorn trees, thick set with buds as clear and pale as golden water or green hail. As if a storm of rain had stood enchanted in the thorny wood, and hearing fairy voices call, hung poised, forgetting how to fall. Welcome to a very special edition of the Calm Christmas Podcast. Farewell Winter, with me, Beth Kempton. That beautiful poem was Green Rain by Mary Webb in A Poem for Every Spring Day, edited by Ali Essery. It hails the turn of the season as winter prepares to depart and spring is hovering at the door. I am here with my hands around a hot mug of tea, watching rain stream down the window pane and listening to the wind batter the chimney. I do love the cosiness of this kind of weather in deep winter, but lately I've been finding myself sniffing the air for a hint of spring. Today's episode marks this transition, inviting us to pause for a moment and bid farewell to winter before we turn and welcome the spring. I'm sure you have noticed this year is a leap year, so we get the gift of an extra day on February the 29th. This is the first time I've ever done a farewell winter episode, um, probably not least because the Calm Christmas podcast only began at the end of October 2020, which was, of course, the end of the pandemic year that we'll never forget. Um, It was intended to be a tiny spark in the darkness of what was a very difficult year for so many people. So this is our first opportunity to celebrate this gift of an extra day. Also, in some ways, this bonus episode is an opportunity to celebrate the fact that somehow the Calm Christmas podcast has officially become the UK's number one favourite Christmas podcast, which is just staggering and wonderful. Um, I'm so glad that so many of you have been inviting a different approach to the winter. Thank you to every single one of you who has shared episodes with your friends, told your followers about it and tuned in week after week to bring some calm to the chaos and light to the darkness of winter. I really hope that you enjoy this special bonus episode. It's always felt to me like the calendar should run from March to February instead of January to December so we get to fully close out winter before beginning a fresh new year in spring. This gift of an extra day this year really feels like an opportunity to do that, to treat the leap day as sacred, to take a moment to pause and notice the seasonal transition and to be grateful for the arrival of sunshine, blossoms and hope. In today's episode, I'm going to share a simple, beautiful ritual for bidding farewell to winter. We're going to hear some gorgeous words related to the transition from winter to spring And then we're going to go outside and seek out some early signs of spring. Think about fun ways to celebrate the arrival of this gorgeous season. And 
invite possibility as spring approaches. As many of you know, this has been an incredibly difficult year for me in so many ways, as I know it has been for lots of you. So many of you have written to me sharing how the podcast has resonated because of what has been going on in your life. I hope you are doing okay after a long winter. Um, I have been thinking of you. In my personal situation, uh, it's almost a year since my mother was given a terminal cancer diagnosis last March and she died in April, just as the cherry blossom peaked and I returned home from the hospice to find the pale pink petals scattered on the ground in my garden and it felt like nature was somehow mirroring my own feelings, um, not knowing how to live in a world without her in it, um, that blooming gorgeousness of the cherry blossom having faded and fallen to the ground. I spent much of the past year writing a new book and to be honest it saved me and it also changed me. It gave me a completely new perspective on life and it brought joy and light back in. So I'd like to tell you a bit more about that later on today too because that book which is called Kokoro, K-O-K-O-R-O, at Japanese Wisdom for a Life Well Lived, will be published this spring. Um, I've created a beautiful new seasonal writing sanctuary for us to share. It is called Spring Light, and anyone who pre-orders Kokoro before it comes out on April the 4th uh, will be able to join me for that for free as we explore impermanence and beauty in words. I'm going to share more about this later on, but you can find out how to register for free for Spring Light at bethkempton.com forward slash kokoro. But for now, let's take a moment to think about the extraordinary occurrence of an extra day in our calendars once every four years. It's just such a wonderful, amazing thing. So we are going to look at the tradition of this. And to be honest, I didn't know much about the origins of February the 29th as Leap Day. So I did some investigating, and here's what Time magazine had to say about it. The origins of February the 29th are actually steeped in the long history of timekeeping, astronomy, and the evolving attempts to align the two through mathematics. Intercalation, or the insertion of days in a calendar, has been tried and tested across civilizations to try to ensure that lunar and solar schedules remain compatible and consistent with the tracking of seasons. The practice varies across cultures. The ancient Egyptian calendar was composed of 12 30-day months, with five epagomena, I hope that's pronounced right, and days appended at every year's end. In lunisolar timekeeping, like in the Chinese calendar, an extra month was added every three years, allowing adherents in those years to celebrate two spring months to welcome in the new year, or double spring. Similarly, in the Vikrami and Hebrew calendars, a month is added every three years or so, following the moon's 19-year cycle of phases. Islam's lunar calendar has a 30-year cycle in which 11 of those years have an extra day added to the month traditionally. But the modern leap day, as we know it, traces its roots back to ancient Rome. Romulus, the first king of Rome, established the Roman Republic calendar around 738 BC, decreeing that a year began in Martius, which we now call March. Um, and that was only 10 months long and didn't account for winter because apparently people didn't work then. Wow. 
interesting times. <laughs> I can imagine that if we all just stopped working for the whole of winter. Wow, uh, that's one way to uh, deal with that season of the year, isn't it? Um, but apparently frustrated by irregularities and cognizant of the Roman calendar's differences with other calendars, by the 7th century BC, Numa Pompilius, the second Roman king, decided that it was time to start formally counting winter months. Thus, Januarius, January and Februarius, February, were added at the end of the calendar year. But still, even after adding those two months, the Roman calendar every so often went out of whack with the season. So every couple of years, Roman consuls would discretionarily add a 27 or 28-day 13th month, which they called Mercedonius or sometimes uh, Intercalaris, to shift the measure of time back in sync with the sun. Typically, the extra month would be inserted after February the 23rd, cutting short February by five days, to immediately follow the celebration of Terminalia, an annual festival on February the 23rd that honours the ancient Roman god of boundaries, Terminus. Hmm, that's one thing to contemplate, isn't it? Um, and then according to, this is a wonderful article from Time magazine, I will um, share a link in the show notes. But according to it, then came Julius Caesar, who ordered a new solar calendar created with the help of Greek astronomer Sosigenes, who was an advisor to Egypt's Cleopatra, who Caesar had known and been known to consult with. Hmm. Uh, the new Julian calendar, which took effect in 45 BC, after a corrective 445-day Ultimus Annus Confusionis, uh, the last year of confusion, uh, was based on the math that a year could consist of exactly 365 days and six hours, and that every 365-day years, those extra six hours would total to one extra day. Um, Caesar's calendar added this day after February 23rd by extending February 24th to 48 hours. So it's, it's all getting a little bit um, detailed here, but I just love that idea of having a last year of confusion. After this year, we will not be confused anymore. Um, I wonder what you do with a 445-day year instead of a 365-day one. Hmm. Hard to imagine uh, all the governments coming together and say they're going to do that right now, hey? Um, so the, the article goes on to share um, more about um, what happened with the Julian calendar. Um, but essentially, it says, um, it would seem safe to assume that humanity had perfected the art of tracking time um, by the time that um, Pope Gregory VIII introduced a new calendar in the 1570s, the Gregorian calendar that we use today. One more adjustment was made and which helped to make up for an ever so slight remaining difference between coordinated universal time, UTC, which is based on the Gregorian calendar, and atomic time, which more closely approximates solar time and is slightly faster. Of course, timekeeping is not an exact science. Um, sometimes it causes so many headaches, experts decide to stop pursuing such precision. And apparently in 2022, the world's foremost meteorology body uh, decided to abandon leap seconds altogether by 2035. I don't know about you, but I find contemplation of time absolutely fascinating. Um, and there's so many wonderful ideas in there. Like I said, can you imagine a 445-day year? Um, how confusing would that be when it came to birthdays? If it is your birthday on February the 29th, obviously that is a very special. Only comes around once every four years. Happy, happy birthday. I would love to know how you celebrate um, that day and also in the other years do come and tell me on Instagram at Beth Kempton. 
and perhaps uh, the 445-day year would give us more time for holidays, I hope, instead of more time for work. Um, but the idea of a leap year, I, I think it's wonderful, um, giving us this leap day. And I want to invite us to bring our attention to the meaning of the word leap, not necessarily just as a bridge between one year and the next, um, as a leap day is, but in terms of our own lives. What if this was a day that we took a leap of faith to do something we've been dreaming of for a long time or to take a bold step in the direction of our dreams? Perhaps it could be a day that we allow fully free leaps of the imagination without any kind of judgment of what we're thinking about, you know, to put colour to those dreams or allow ourselves a new kind of creative freedom to, you know, if you're like me and you write, maybe write something different or write something in a completely different way. If you're an artist, maybe you could, instead of drawing um, pen and ink illustrations, you could try a big abstract painting. Um, who knows? Begin to imagine um, a life with even more creative freedom and a life where we no longer carry limiting beliefs or care what other people think about us and what we do and, and all of that. Imagine that kind of free leap of the imagination. Um, let's give ourselves permission to think of that as a possibility and then maybe that will guide us towards more of that in the year ahead. What kind of leap might you take this leap day, I wonder? Perhaps some, that is something to journal about today. At the very least, why not try to build in some time for reflecting and dreaming on February the 29th coming up? Um for making a gratitude list or doing something special with someone special in full awareness of this gift of a day. If this past year has taught me anything, it's that every single day is gift, truly. We never know how many we have left and taking some time to offer gratitude for each one is a really wonderful thing to do. I feel like February 29th is a marker in the calendar reminding us of this. Maybe we should make it an international day of gratitude. I have decided to take the day off on February 29th. I'm not going to do any work. Um, I have a yoga class booked in and my alarm will be set to have me at my desk with a candle and my journal at 5am to write about all the blessings in my life that I know I'm going to do. Um, hopefully I will be taking my tea out into the garden to watch the sunrise and then when the girls are at school, I might go for a long walk with Mr. K, or if it's especially sunny and calm, we might even get the pedal boards out. Maybe we'll pick the girls up from school and take them to the beach to run around, eat salty chips with our fingers and watch the sunset together. I'm going to let the day play out as it will, but make sure that there is spaciousness and room to be spontaneous and lots of moments of gratitude with people I care about. How about you, I wonder? Even if you have work or other obligations on this coming leap day, why not take a few minutes for yourself and um, find your own way to practice gratitude for the extra day and for all the days that we get to have. So I would like to offer you a simple ritual to consciously mark the end of winter. Now, you, of course, you could do this on February the 29th, or you can just do it any day. One of the crafts I've previously shared on the podcast, and it involves making a paper snowflake and then writing on it and then burning it. This can be a beautiful, quiet ritual, or you can turn it into a fun thing to do with children 
Of course, be careful with fire safety first, please, and do take all necessary precautions. You will need a candle, some scissors, um, some square white paper. Computer printer paper is fine. Um, You want to make that into a square shape. So obviously, if you have a rectangular piece, just fold up one corner so two sides match up um, and then uh, cut down the third side and you'll have a perfect square. You also need a pen, uh, matches or a lighter and a heatproof bowl or sink. And the first thing you want to do is make your snowflake. So take your square piece of paper and fold it corner to corner and then again and again so that if you were to open it, you would have lots of straight lines emanating from the centre of the square. You want to take your folded uh, piece of paper and cut some random shapes out of each side, taking care not to fully cut alongside any of the folded edges um, or your snowflake is going to fall apart. I like to do this with intricate swirls, but you could do whatever you like. Um, And then open it out and marvel at its beauty. It's such a simple, beautiful um, thing to do. And then light your candle, take a few gentle breaths and think about this past winter. Is there anything you want to let go of or move on from? If there is, write it down in the on, on the snowflake itself, in the spaces between um, the gaps that you have cut out. So there's obviously going to be some shapes of white paper left within your snowflake. So you can use that as space to write down all these things, all higgledy-piggledy over the snowflake. Did anything worry you this past winter? Write it down. Did you suffer in any way this past winter? Write it down. Did anything in the world break your heart this past winter? Write that down. And then take your snowflake. And if you like, you can um, hold it up to the light, hold it up to a window, and then set light to it over the heatproof bowl, putting your hand on your heart and keeping breathing as you watch it burn as if the snowflake is melting and taking all your worries and suffering with it. Now, if you're doing this with children, you might find it's more appropriate to do an alternative version, which is simply to write down your hopes and dreams on the snowflake. Um, And then if you do that, it's lovely to leave it hanging up by a window overnight and then to set light to it the following day, imagining that as you light it and the paper burns, uh, you're sending your hopes and dreams up into the sky. And when you've finished and the snowflake has turned to ash in the bowl, you might like to wet one finger or maybe take a small stick or the end of a fork or something like that um, and use it to take up a little bit of the ash and make a mark in your journal. And then next to it, write what you want to invite in this spring and perhaps what you're hopeful about. And don't forget to blow out the candle and then perhaps step out into the day and perhaps go for a lovely walk to breathe in the early spring air. Let's go to our nature corner. Early spring can be a strange time for weather, Um, sunshine, rain, snow, sometimes all in the same day. I remember getting married on April the 4th and how it snowed on our wedding day. Everything was white, the old VW Beetle I arrived in, my dress the snow falling on my furry shawl. It was really beautiful, but unexpected for April. And thinking about that, um, I took a walk around the garden the other day um, to see whether winter was still dominant or whether spring 
was coming. I was thinking about this podcast and you and all the things I wanted to share. And I was looking for signs of spring. And here's a few of the things I found. There were blue grape hyacinths growing out of a low wall. There was a daytime moon in the pale blue sky. Tiny sprigs of leaves in the rose bushes and the beginning of buds. The lavender was a silvery grey and still musky. The rosemary was reminiscent of roast dinners. Honeysuckle vines with waxy green leaves promised yellow and white flowers soon. And daffodils, which had been blooming since December, were accompanied by some pale yellow primroses. There was a patch of daisies that had escaped the mower and some lime green buds on the hydrangea bush. The cherry plum tree that my parents gave me for my birthday a couple of years back offered perfect, delicate pink blooms. So much life everywhere, biding its time, almost ready to show itself. My mum was a primary school teacher, so we always had a nature table at home, as well as in the classroom. So I started to gather some things. Bright daffodils, some of those smaller pale yellow narcissus minnow ones, candles in spring colours, feathers and a yellow cloth. And soon I will take my snips to the fruit trees and bring in a few thin branches inside to force blossom in a jug too. I love watching it transform from a dark branch to a cloud of plum, cherry or apple as I keep doing this as the months roll on. If winter was for hibernating and dreaming, spring is for awakening, planting seeds and nourishing our dreams with action. I'm thinking this year I might adopt the mantra, be more daffodil, bright and bold through all weathers of March, not hiding, sharing our colours and beauty with the world. This week, why not adopt that too for you? Be more daffodil and tell someone about a project that you're working on that you're excited about or proud of. Say it out loud and maybe take another step towards making it real. Now, meteorologically speaking, the official first day of spring is March the 1st and obviously the last is May the 31st. And those seasons are based on the annual temperature cycles rather than the position of the Earth in relation to the sun. But astronomically speaking, the first day of spring here in the Northern Hemisphere is marked by the spring equinox, which falls on March the 19th, 20th or 21st, depending on the year. And also it's a specific moment in time. So um, it's March the 20th here, very, very early in the morning, as the exact moment of the equinox, whereas obviously for our friends across the pond, it's March the 19th this year at a moment in the evening. Now, as you might know, I have had a love affair with Japan for a quarter of a century. One of the many things I've always been drawn to is the attention paid to the seasons in many aspects of Japanese life. And I don't think until I encountered Japan that I ever gave these kind of tiny moments of seasonal significance um, any attention at all. Um, but since I first encountered the country and the many ways that it um, people and activities pay attention to the seasons, um, I have been drawn to it and love the way it kind of marks the passing of time. As I shared in my book, Wabi Sabi, the traditional Japanese calendar, which originated in China, actually has 24 divisions, which are known as seki. And each of those is further divided into three micro-seasons, known as core. 
So there are 72 micro-seasons in a year, and these have beautiful names, which capture something that happens in nature around that time. One of my favourites is East Wind Melts the Ice. And the names themselves were originally um, taken from China, but they didn't always match up with the local climate in Japan. Um, so they were rewritten in 1685 by the court astronomer Shibukawa Shunkai. Now, obviously, as you might expect with climate change, these are drifting in modern times. So the natural activities and phenomena don't necessarily line up with the micro season in the same way anymore, which is a whole other conversation. Um, but today I wanted to share a few from this time of year. Now, dates are approximate. They can vary from year to year. Um, but these poetic micro season names might give you some inspiration for seeking out signs of spring where you are. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to a great article on nippon.com um, which lists all of the micro-seasons for the whole year if you're interested to explore further. But from February the 24th to 28th, the micro-season is called Mist Starts to Linger. From March the 1st to the 5th, it's Grass Sprouts, Trees Bud. March the 6th to the 10th, is hibernating insects surface. March the 11th to the 15th is first peach blossoms. And then March the 16th to the 20th is caterpillars become butterflies. For me, spring is all about blossom. Blossom is such a beautiful word, don't you think? Now, in Japan, there are late winter cherry blossoms, actually um, in late February and early March, but it's really March to May that sees the famous wave of cherry blossoms sweep the entire nation. There are regular television broadcasts um, giving the forecast of blooms, uh, showing what's known as the Sakura Zensen, the cherry blossom front. So people can plan their travels to witness the flowers bursting into bloom, sit beneath them drinking sake and singing karaoke with friends, um, or take a quiet moment to watch them fade. Besides its utter gorgeousness, the cherry blossom tells the oldest story in the world, that of a kind of grief, really, a fleeting beauty which reminds us of the impermanent nature of everything and the anticipatory grief for the loss of that beauty, which is a mirror of our knowledge deep down that we will also one day fall like the blossom drifting on a spring breeze. But we are here now and we get to enjoy this spring. So let's talk about some ways to celebrate the arrival of spring. Here are some of the ones that I love, and perhaps you can come and share some of your favourites with me on Instagram at Beth Kempton. In no particular order, um, why not have breakfast outside, even if you have to still have your coat on? Uh, go for a picnic, make a nature table, uh, buy some flowers at the farmer's market or maybe from a local honesty box if you're like me and you live near farms that grow flowers. Spend an uninterrupted 20 minutes in the garden or perhaps in a park simply counting birds or counting the number of shades of green that you can see. You could paint a room in the house, give things a refresh. I like to pop an invitation in each of my children's lunchboxes, inviting them on a treasure hunt after school. Perhaps you might like to make a lovely salad with the first spring leaves. That always feels like a moment to me. You could go and listen to a forest. Now, if you don't have one near you, I discovered something recently, just the most amazing interactive world map of forest sounds. 
at timberfestival.org.uk forward slash sounds of the forest hyphen sound map. I'll put that link in the show notes and you can click on the map and listen to recordings of forests from all over the world. It's amazing. Um, and that's a really beautiful thing to do to um, calm the nervous system and let yourself be transported into the season. Other things to do is pretend you're a tourist and take a trip around the area you live and see it for the first time with fresh eyes. Make a daisy chain. If you've got enough daisies in the garden, uh, plant some radishes. Treat yourself to a new houseplant. Listen to a flower-themed visualisation. Or perhaps go hunting for heart rocks at the beach or for shapes in the clouds. Another lovely thing to do is to blow bubbles. You can obviously get those little pots that come with um, a bubble wand or you can fill a um, washing up bowl with warm water and um, washing up liquid and maybe make your own bubble wand out of an old coat hanger and blow some giant bubbles. That's always a really fun thing to do. Perhaps write a letter to someone you haven't seen in a while or put away your winter clothes, have a clear out and donate clothes, books, toys, all those things and make some space in your life or make some money on vintage selling the things and enjoy the space that is left behind where those old things used to be. Go to the sea or spend time on it. Make a playlist of spring tunes and dance around the kitchen or maybe plant a tree. How about you? How are you going to celebrate spring this year? Let me know. Now, I know that lots of you enjoyed the gentle writing prompt that I shared in each of the episodes in this season of the podcast. So let's do one today as well. Let's have a think about writing spring. In English, we have a number of spring-related sayings that tend to come from observations of the natural world, old things like Don't say that spring has come until you can put your foot on nine daisies and one swallow does not make a spring. A favourite quote of mine attributed to Audrey Hepburn, which makes me think of spring, is to plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow. In much of the Japanese poetry I love, spring is a common motif, particularly in haiku. Here are a couple of lovely ones by Masaoka Shiki, which can be found in the gorgeous little book A House by Itself, Selected Haiku of Masaoka Shiki, translated by John Brandy and Noriko Kawasaki Martinez. Spring rain. I close my umbrella and take a walk. Plum blossoms. One sprig in my medicine bottle. Still too early, the wisteria on the trellis holds back its blossoms. Here's an extract from Spring by Gerard Manley Hopkins, who lived at a similar time to Marcel Kashiki. And you can find this poem in Ten Poems for Spring. Um, a gorgeous idea, which is, uh, is, is done like a card, but it's full of poems. And that's from Candlestick Press. A lovely thing to send to someone in the post, perhaps. Here's the poem. Nothing is so beautiful as spring. When weeds in wheels shoot long and lovely and lush, thrush's eggs look little low heavens, and thrush through the echoing timber does so rinse and wring the ear, it strikes like lightnings to hear him sing. The glassy pear tree leaves and blooms, they brush the descending blue, 
that blue is all in a rush with richness. The racing labs, too, have fair their fling. What is all this juice and all this joy? I also love these words from the opening of Alan Watts's book, Cloud Hidden, Whereabouts Unknown, A Mountain Journal. The poem is called Searching for the Hermit in Vain by Chia Tao. This poem is well over a thousand years old and was translated by Lin Yutang. I asked the boy beneath the pines. He said, the master's gone alone, herb picking somewhere on the mount. Cloud hidden, whereabouts unknown. One of Japan's most well-known contemporary haiku poets, Madoka Mayuzumi, edited a beautiful collection of haiku written by regular folk, survivors of the 2011 great earthquake and tsunami in Japan. Um, And that had actually happened on an early spring day, if you remember. It was March the 11th. And this gorgeous collection is called So Happy to See Cherry Blossoms. And in it, she wrote, Traditionally, spring dream is a metaphor for something fragile and fleeting, as in the opening lines of the 14th century account of the rise and fall of the Taira clan, which is known as Haike Monogatari, the tale of the Haike. It says, The arrogant do not last for long just like a dream on a spring night. This reflects the Buddhist tenet on the transience of life. She said, um, she went on to say, as the Heart Sutra says, the laws of all existence are like a dream, phantom bubble, a shadow. And in Buddhism, what is given in the haiku as real world is the present in the three worlds of existence, the past, present and future. One of the poems that really struck me was one by 86-year-old Tadashi Terashima, whose hometown of Shinchi in Fukushima was directly hit by the tsunami. It devastated most of the town's coastal area and a hundred people died as a result in that part of Japan. And this was his poem. Awake from spring dream to real world's tsunami scars. Other seasonal words used in poems in the book include harusamu, which means spring cold, and that refers to the cold which persists after the vernal equinox, oborozuki, which means blurred or blurry moon, which meteorologically is explained as a consequence of the approaching low atmospheric pressure, but in Japanese poetry, blurriness has been regarded as one of the attributes in spring when the world thaws, warms and grows, suffused with softness. I love thinking about that as a way of being at this moment in the year. Us thawing after the winter and growing with softness. Another favourite from the collection was the seasonal word hinaga, which means days long or long day, which comes from the sense that with the arrival of spring, the days grow longer and are felt to be longer, as a suggestion of relief and relaxation. And then finally, I wanted to share a couple of lovely haiku from the collected haiku of Yosa Buson, translated by W.S. Merwin and Takako Lento. Mist in the grass, the water silent, just before sunset. Spring rain, the day ending, I linger with it. Long days deepen, and the past seems farther and farther away. So your writing invitation for today is to write a memory of spring in the form of a short poem. 
If you want to try a haiku, you might like to read my Substack essay, The Life-Changing Magic of Writing Haiku, Finding Beauty and Solace in a Heartbeat-Sized Poem. You can find that at bethkempton.substack.com or in the link in the show notes. It's a free essay that will give you some tips for writing your own as well as a roundup of my favourite books on haiku if you want to dive deeper into this gorgeous poetry form. Which reminds me, I wanted to invite you to join me for my beautiful new writing class called Spring Light, where we will explore impermanence and beauty, tune into the season and spill what is in our heads and hearts onto paper. This week-long seasonal writing sanctuary, which includes daily lessons and two live sessions with me, is valued at £59, but you can get access for free if you pre-order my new book, Kokoro, which will be out on April the 4th. It's simple to do this. Just order your copy of Kokoro in any format, hardback, ebook or audiobook, from any retailer before April the 4th, and then go to bethkempton.com forward slash Kokoro, which is K-O-K-O-R-O, and then put your receipt details in the form there. You'll be added to a list and I will send you a note on publication day with details of how to access the class, which will run online from April the 22nd to April the 27th. If you're in the US or Canada, your edition will be published later in the year. But if you want the first edition, beautiful hardback with free access to Spring Light, uh, you can order a copy from Blackwells of Oxford here in the UK, which is apparently offering free shipping anywhere in the world right now. You can go to their website at blackwells.co.uk and search Kokoro by Beth Kempton, um, or you can find a direct link in the show notes. And then don't forget to go to bethkempton.com forward slash Kokoro to pop your receipt details in the form and book your spot in spring light. Which brings me to my new book. I have been working on this book for five years. It is called Kokoro, Japanese Wisdom for a Life Well Lived. The word kokoro is a beautiful Japanese word which has been alive in the Japanese language since before there was a character to write it down. It has no direct equivalent in English. Um, indeed, my quest to discover the full expanse of its meaning is actually a thread running through the book. But in essence, it means something along the lines of intelligent heart. As many of you know, several years ago, I wrote a book called Wabi-sabi, Japanese Wisdom for a Perfectly Imperfect Life. And in it, I explored the beauty of imperfection and what the concept of wabi-sabi could teach us about acceptance and letting go. What I didn't tell anyone was that when I submitted that manuscript, I was left with a sense of something being incomplete, but I wasn't sure what. Towards the end of wabi-sabi, I had shared an experience of time slowing to the point that I could almost see a new memory being imprinted on my heart. I wrote about it to illustrate a point without realising that reliving it had loosened the ribbon on an old scroll of questions that I had gathered in my 20s and 30s, but had rolled up and put away when I got busy with my career and later with family life. Questions about time and meaning, mortality and mystery, and how to navigate life so we have no regrets. As I hit send on the Wabi-Sabi manuscript, got up from my chair and turned to the window of my attic writing room, the forgotten scroll fell from my lap and unravelled, spilling the questions all over the floor. I knelt and gathered them up carefully, knowing that as one story finished, another was just beginning. That story would take me back to Japan several times over the next five years, 
as I ran headlong into midlife with two small children, a growing business, a deepening furrow above my right eyebrow, and fistfuls of questions about life which just seemed to be rushing by faster every day. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but that story, that quest, would take me to the very edges of my experience as a human being, as I heard a knock on the door and opened it to find death standing there, waiting to take my mother. It would see me whisper her through the portal between this world and whatever lies beyond, crush me to dust in the wake of her passing, and see me slowly take shape again, with the help of kind strangers, old sages, and three sacred mountains in a remote part of Japan. That story would become this new book, Kokoro, Japanese Wisdom for a Life Well Lived. Hand on heart, writing this book changed my life. Reading it might just change yours. It is a book of grief and hope, darkness and light. It's a book about navigating major life transitions and making the most of whatever time we have on earth, however long that may be. Together we will journey to the deep north of Japan, hike ancient forests, watch the moon rise over mountains of myth and encounter a host of wise teachers along the way. No actors, chefs, taxi drivers, coffee shop owners, poets, philosophers and the spirits that inhabit the land. We will contemplate the true nature of time at one of the world's strictest Zen temples and nothing will be quite the same again. The wisdom that you will find in the pages of Kokoro has drifted into my open hands like flower petals on a breeze, gathered conversation by conversation on my wanderings through Japan. In writing it down, I'm gently blowing those petals in your direction. And my intention with this book is to share so much of what Japan and its culture have so generously taught me in case that can be a doorway for you too. In Kokoro, you'll learn why three sacred mountains in a remote snowy part of northern Japan hold the keys to choosing a new path anytime we like. You'll learn what a 13th century Zen master can teach us about the nature of time, what encountering death can teach us about living well, and how to tune in to and take care of your kokoro and let it guide you daily as you cultivate a life well lived. Over the past few years, and particularly the last year, I've come to understand that to explore the kokoro is to explore the very essence of what it means to be human in this tough yet devastatingly beautiful world. When you learn to live guided by the light in your kokoro, everything changes, and anything is possible. As I mentioned, if you pre-order Kokoro in any format before publication on April the 4th, you can get free access to my beautiful seasonal writing sanctuary. Um, the course is called Spring Light. Um, and as I said, it's worth £59, but it is a gift to you. If you pre-order Kokoro, you can find all the details at bethkempton.com forward slash Kokoro. I hope that you will read the book or listen to me reading the audiobook to you and let it gently guide you in the direction of a life well lived. Now, at this point in the podcast, we would normally uh, make time for our Get Ahead Tips corner, but of course we don't have any Get Ahead Tips for Christmas in this particular episode. 
Although I wonder whether some conscious attention to the way we're spending our time, energy and other resources throughout the year might actually affect how we come to feel um, when Christmas comes around this year. Perhaps we could make a shared commitment to paying attention to how we feel in every season this year and consciously mark the passing of time as shown to us by nature throughout the year ahead. I invite you to come and join me in March on Instagram at Beth Kempton for a free community challenge, hashtag tiny spring poem. Um, I've been running this for several years now and I do it once a season um, for a bunch of days where um, every morning I post daily prompts, a single word prompt to inspire um, a tiny poem um, and spending 10 minutes a day writing a tiny poem for no reason other than it's fun and nourishing um, and a lovely pause in your day is a really wonderful thing to do. So do come and follow me over there um, so that you get that in your Instagram feed um, in March. I will also be posting regular book giveaways on my Instagram at Beth Kempton throughout March and April. And there's actually one up now. So do go and have a look. Um, and I have some gorgeous seasonal and inspiring books lined up to give away. So be sure to go and follow me there so you don't miss them. Um, there's a new giveaway coming roughly once a week uh, throughout the spring. So I hope you um, will enter and perhaps even win some gorgeous inspiration in written form. Now, personally, I'm making a commitment to track the seasons through the kinds of essays that I share on my Substack at bethkempton.substack.com. All my essays are free. Um, Substack is a wonderful place to discover new writing and feel really close to writers whose work you love. So um, if you haven't explored it yet, do um, come and do that. You can create a free account and then you can subscribe to anyone who's writing that you like. Some people charge for their Substack um, and go very deep on um, their offerings. Personally, my essays are all free. Um, so just come and find me at bethkempton.substack.com and subscribe there and you will get all of my essays um, in your email if you want them. Um, but also you can read them in the Substack app. And I hope that that gives you inspiration throughout the year so we can stay connected until the Calm Christmas podcast returns later this year as autumn gives way to winter. Until then, thank you for listening. I wish you light and hope and days filled with the delicate fragrance of cherry blossom and maybe soon even roses. You have been a wonderful companion throughout this past winter. Thank you so much. I really, really mean that. Um, I look forward to meeting you again at my kitchen table for hot tea and ginger cake, maybe some mince pies, when the Calm Christmas podcast returns. Thank you, my friend. Today, I leave you with this from the poem Another Spring by Christina Georgia Rossetti which can be found in The Language of Spring, selected by Robert Atwan. If I might see another spring, O oh stinging comment on my past, that all my past results in if, if I might see another spring, I'd laugh today, today is brief, I would not wait for anything, I'd use today that cannot last, be glad today, and sing. You have been listening to a special episode of the Calm Christmas Podcast with me, Beth Kempton. If you have enjoyed this, you might just love the audiobook edition of my new book, Kokoro, Japanese Wisdom for a Life Well Lived, which is available for pre-order now. Let me read to you as we travel together to rural Japan, sit in cosy coffee shops in the rain, seek out wisdom in dojos and temples, climb sacred mountains and contemplate what it means to cultivate a life 
well-lived.